Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 18 of Honest Retail. Excited to be joined, as always, by CJ and Taylor. How are you both doing on this Tuesday? Doing well, Cam. Doing well. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Um, so we'll kick it off with brands um, that have caught our eye. I wanted to mention this one first so I don't forget about it, but I recently got a care package from um, Vesso, um, which is an aperitif company. Um, was really um, impressed with the um, with the unboxing uh, experience with it. I'm excited to actually try the product, which I'm going to try this weekend. I'm going to make like a like an aperitif spritz with it. Um, I I think it may be faux pas, but I'm actually a big Aperol spritz fan, even though some people think that's really gross. And I've been told that this okay. is much better to make it out of. So I'm pretty excited to try this out. Um, I would definitely um, implore everybody to check out Vesso, V-E-S-O. Um, Strawberry Solstice and Vanilla Nightfall are the two flavors. Um, and I'm really excited to give this try. I think, Taylor, you've heard of them too, right? Yeah, we actually, uh, they are now a partner of record for the collective as well. So nice. there you go. Just did some application. Now, I, I like the Summer Solstice as well, and I'm excited. I think they have a really interesting product line. And I too would would tell everyone to, to visit the website and check it out. Uh, they're doing some really cool stuff. How do you, how do you, how do you spell it? V-E-S-O. And then I think it's drink. Uh, let's see. No, I got it. I found it. Um, right. Drinkveso.com. Yeah, yeah. drinkveso.com. This is an, are, do, do you guys know if, um, since they're a client, Taylor, are, are they primarily D2C? Are they going through retail? What's their, what's their thing? I just signed on board this week, so more to come. But I know that they do have a direct-to-consumer. Um, I think for right now, they're focused on direct-to-consumer, but can share more after I get a little bit more onboarded over the coming weeks. Cool. I think I'm now remembering that I actually probably, I think I gave this company a shout out <laughs> like a few episodes ago. <laughs> and I was going down my stairs and I saw the Vesco product and I was like, <laughs> oh, like I should really talk about this brand. And then as I was saying, I was like, oh, I think I have talked about this brand before. So yeah, I'll, I'll probably have like a third update uh, once I finally try the product. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's pretty funny. All right. Well, like all I have them this week is the Stumptown cold brew coffee that I'm drinking right now, which is like my go-to uh, cold brew coffee with the with Oatly in it. Although I know Oatly is kind of under attack from everybody. Uh, this product is um, awesome and I'm a big fan of the product. So yeah, look at me. I'm I'm the one repeating products over here. So, um, Taylor, how about you? Well, I texted CJ last night because I have bought some Hoplark and uh, I've had it in my fridge and I never tried it until yesterday. And within half hour, I had bought a variety pack online. Um, I think CJ's already talked about the company before because I know that CJ is involved with them, but. Uh, for others, Hoplark is a non-alcoholic craft beer, tea and water company hopped and crafted like beer. Um, I just thought it was delicious. I, again, I have a few beer brands that I like on the non-alcoholic side of things. So kind of always open to trying new brands that I've heard really good things about. And um, 
tried last night in particular. It's called Sparkling Hop Tea Green Tea one. I uh, just thought it was super refreshing and really delicious. And then also, I love the fact that there's no calories, no carbs, which is kind of part of my mantra of if I'm not drinking, I like to try to keep all the kind of calorie counts down. Uh, the only thing I didn't realize is that I had caffeine. And so I had it right before I went to bed and virtually stayed up just scanning the internet for the rest of the evening. Uh, didn't bother CJ after midnight, but I think it's all great. And so anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm now hooked and literally within half hour of trying it, bought a core mix pack. So more to come. But Get on the. Really uh, enjoyed it. I'll, I'll I'll have Dean send you out, um, or I'll ask Dean to send you out some of the their their limited time offers. They're they're interesting, but like the thing I love most about Hop Hoplark is it's the three comma club, right? Any anytime an ingredient list only has three commas, you, you might be on to something. Um, so, delicious. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah, I loved it. CJ, another brand that caught my attention, um, we actually they recently signed up on our platform, but I know you guys work with them, is Shirley. Have you tried the products? Um, it's a non-alcoholic wine brand, but yeah, they're, like, they're yeah. like uh, blowing up on the platform right now. Yeah, they're, um, those guys are really smart. I got, I, I, in fact, Kiva, if you're listening, I know I owed you a call last night about Shiva, and I'm sorry. Um, I'll f- figure that out today. Um, I... I love what they're doing. I love that team. Um, I, you know, it, it kind of like begs the question. It's, it's interesting that you guys mentioned that because that, you know, my, my product today is I'm going to try something new and ask our listening community how they like getting their information about non-alp. So I've been looking at two websites. One's called Better Roads, Roads spelled yep. the island, R-H-O-D-E-S. I and saw then, that too. Yep. And then also, also zero proof, um, which, you know, I, I would, I would say, I would say definitely better or better roads is um, a little bit more advanced from a, a visually pleasing standpoint, but the, the, the entrepreneur behind zero proof, like also like is like known to me through other channels. He brought a bunch of financial newsletters and really understands the marketing. It's like, I'm trying to decide and Taylor, I know you're involved or at least looking at involving the collective in some of like the physical standalone, like non-alcohol only stores. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, you know, as these communities coalesce and there's definitely a non-alc CPG Twitter community, like it's pretty clear that they're <laughs> indeed. there. And yeah, I'm, indeed. I'm, pre- yeah. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure Mark, Mark Gallo is their leader. Um, and I, I'm like, how do, how do people find their information in this? And like, and not just like the Twitter audio. Like I'm, I'm just really curious because it sure seems to me that like websites probably the the best way to do this um, because there, I mean, there are just so many, and having some actual curation is is a good thing. So th- these are these are stuff that I'm digging into. I'd love to get feedback from folks who actually listen to the the podcast um, on on how they find their new non alk non stuff. Um, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. And Taylor, I mean, you, you had some experience too, right? Like you've seen now kind of bottle shops pop up that are just focused on non-alc, right? Yeah. I'm actually doing a piece for Rolling Stone. It should come out in a few weeks around kind of the no and low alc movement and kind of everything around the trend and what's happening from like a retail brick and mortar perspective and online innovation. So I could talk to that when it goes live as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, I had met with Douglas who is, uh, the founder of Spirited Away, which is one of 
one of the few uh, New York-based shops that focus on non-alc. And um, I had asked him, CJ, something similar. And he virtually just said, like, in terms of, like, generating foot traffic, like, people just find the location. I mean, he's on, I believe, on Mott, so in Lower East Side, which is a really great location to be. And even just from, like, an exploratory perspective, he has a lot of people that just kind of walk in and uncover it. Um, and then he's been able to build a pretty notable CRM database of people that have either uh, purchased. So he does deliver like downtown in New York, not further yet, which is on the kind of the docket for him and his team is to have obviously more widespread deliverable uh, delivery options. Mm -hmm. But um, for people that he either delivers to or people that have come in the store, like myself, um, I call it my new crack shop. Um, they all become part of the, their database. And then he sends updates about like private taste, which I think is really cool. And I had talked with him about, you know, with these types of products, it's so subjective, right? And so everything is like very specific and tailored to the person who's trying the product and every, what works for one person may not work for another. And given these products are not necessarily always inexpensive, how are people trying new products and understanding where to spend money on these new, you know, new offerings. And so he said he does leverage the network of people that are in his database and they do tastings where people from these brands come in and try the products and people that are available come and sample it that are customers. Um, but in terms of like marketing and ways that he's been targeting them, it's been a lot more organic. I know Boisson is probably a little bit more uh, structured and formalized when it comes to like their marketing efforts, but both of those companies, even if you just look at them, have gotten a lot of press uh, just by default, you know, by being those companies that have presences in New York and offer these products. So it'll be interesting to see over time, maybe when there's less kind of organic opportunities for them to get included in the press, like what is, what are the ways in which they're engaging with current, you know, current customers and potential customers. So. Great. Very cool. Do you find, I mean, like when you go into that store, I mean, obviously when you go to like a local wine store or something, there's a lot they can talk about, like about the region or like, you're very curious. And I think like, you know, we had mentioned that it's like, all oh, you can really focus maybe on non alcohol is like more like botanical, right? And some like keynotes you're picking from there. Like, is it hard to get as interested as you would in like a traditional wine shop? Or do you find like, you're still intrigued by all the different products that they have? Well, they segmented it out by um, kind of category. So I had talked with them about that. And so interestingly enough, they now segment these kind of, at least the one for Spirited Away, by tequila alternatives, whiskey alternatives, uh, you know, more on the botanical, uh, better for you space. Like, so they, they do these kind of sections. And I think it's interesting because, um, you know, within those subcategories, then people say, okay, well, what are the flavor profiles? And so I think segmenting it out by like, either if they're trying to take over a category or make an alternative for a category, I think that's an interesting way of segmenting it out. The, but, you know, kind of the other ones, like I really, uh, I'm keen on Three Spirits, which is a company that I've been in talks with. I'm actually meeting with the founders tomorrow. Uh, the ones that are a little bit more on the herbaceous botanical side, I think it's much harder to kind of definitively outline exactly what those are, right? Um, some of them, I don't think thus far from what I've seen, they're segmented by region or anything. So it's really kind of each and every individual, one of those companies that have more on that like herbaceous kind of flavor profile spectrum. I think you just have to kind of literally go through each and every one. But there is, there's definitely that exploratory nature to those stores the way in which you would find in a wine store and they are curated you know in a strategic way so I, I i like the experience going to the 
the, the brick and mortar stores over online. One of the things I'm trying to figure out about the space, and I'd love your input, Taylor, is like how much brand loyalty is actually going to get driven? Like, you know, like, like it's, it's ecosystems that kind of drive whether or not retail or brands or distribution have might like, and I'm not so sure that the NA space, you know, with obvious some exceptions, right? Like, you know, Shirley's spiking, athletic spiking, Hoplock spiking. Yeah. Like for a lot of these things, like, especially on like, the aperitif world, like it's it's really hard to pick winners, right? Like like everyone's deck looks the same, and especially yeah. in non-alk spirits, which is like non-alk is growing, Gen Z is drinking less, millennials are drinking less, and you're like, cool, yeah, this is all true. Like I almost <laughs> have to start these decks at like page eleven. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, but why is your brand going to drive loyalty? Because I wouldn't be surprised if the actual winners aren't like retail for this like and, and they'll be like niche winners but like very profitable you know like you know I, I curate and therefore I win or the websites like I educate and therefore I win because I'm I'm an aggregator and driving a lot of sales through this like because I, I I look at I look at some of these aperitif brands I'm like hey like I I understand why the founders are gravitating towards aperitifs and digestives because they're naturally bitter and they're the easiest things to go out and and full on like kind of recreate an analog to what they're replacing. Um, and same thing in beer, like you can get that yeasty carbonation, malty flavor, but like in just like the straight spirits and, and wine, it's it's tough. So I'm like, I'm, I'm still struggling to form a heuristic in this space of, are there going to be as many branded winners as people say they're going to be, or is there going to be like retail as a winner, kind of in the way that we're seeing in cannabis, like no brands yet retails. the winner. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I think, honestly, I think there's a few things to consider. Like, um, you know, when it comes to even just like awareness of these brands, like not everyone is going to know necessarily or be close to these retail shops. Right. So one of the things that I've been thinking about is, is actual placement on cocktail menus. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, you've seen Seedlip is another one. I, 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 Seedlip is fine. I'm not a huge uh, gin fan. But if you think about it as an example, if, if brands can focus within the space on getting into these traditional brick and mortars, figuring out a way to market online, right, and sell online to these consumers, there's a few other things. One is tasting menu, like uh, cocktail menus, where if you're at a Chili's or you're at a Smith or whatever, I'm just using like random places. Um, at the end of the day, if they start getting a sense of, okay, I keep seeing that there are offerings for non-alcoholic cocktails and it's XYZ brand. I do think that those brands will take off in some way, shape or form because people want to have an understanding of, okay, I want to have something that's not alcoholic, uh, you know, meeting the customer where they are. If they're at a restaurant and being able to have an offering, if there is a brand associated, I do think there is a higher probability that maybe they will buy that product if they have a cocktail with it, you know, at an account and they like it. The other thing is, which I, I, I would hope that more brands are starting to do, there's one pop-up bar in DC, um, I believe called Dry Goods. Um, we're experiential tasting sampling do pop-ups it's not alcoholic like find ways to just meet your consumers get liquid to lips like whether as said it's at these brick and mortar shops or just wherever i don't care on the sidewalk just get people to try your product and so i i think that there will be so many of these brands like you said cj where people will just you know go into these stores and say i want an alternative for tequila like they would say i want a joint or I want a mint and they don't necessarily have a brand in mind, but mm -hmm. I think ones that, ones that can get traction on 
menus, cocktail menus throughout the country, I do think people will say, okay, I remember that brand that I've had yeah. in these so different that's a, locations. That, that's, that's a proxy for basically, okay, Southern's going to be a kingmaker here. So from, from an investment standpoint, only, only, only back ones that have, that have Southern's backing. I mean, you said it, I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> but you get what I'm saying though, right? Yeah, yeah I do. I do. I, I mean, like, and, and, and interestingly enough, like, like, for, for, like if I were in your shoes with, with the client roster that you have growing in non-alc, I'd be saying the same thing. I'd be telling them, you need to find a way to get Southern or RNDC on board if you're in New York, maybe Empire, because they'll drive cocktail menus. And right now, you know, you know the reason Seed Lips on every cocktail menu is because it's owned by Diageo. Um, Correct. And, and Correct. Mr. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, just, just because like, if, if I'm, if I'm a, if I'm a non-elk seller right now, whether it's beer, wine or spirits, like, like I've heard a couple of people try and tell me, oh no, we're going to go through traditional brokers. We're going to use like presence marketing and stuff like that. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, do you know who talks to the wine buyer? The Southern rep, you know, who talks to the beer buyer, the Molson Coors rep. Like it does, you know, yeah, that, that channel's made for BevAlk, but I think these non-alcs still have to go through that channel. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, before we transition, while we're on the topic of like great New York little shops, um, this is a traditional wine shop, but Orange Glue, if anybody's in New York ever, uh, it's a it's a wine store that only sells orange wine, which like we're going into spring and summer. So I'm a big fan of orange wine this time of year. Um, so anybody who's in New York city, that was just like a little thing that popped in my head. Like that's my favorite, like little wine shop in the city. Uh, definitely check it out. If you are looking for an alcoholic option that did sound like a, I was reading a promotion at that point, but I'm not, this, 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 uh, this mm-hmm. podcast is not, uh, sponsored by them. So, so it's I just one thing I wanted to get out. Have either of you tried orange wine before? Oh, it's really wow. good. I would definitely check it out. Spring, summer, it's it's much better than like white wine as an as an alternative. So I would I would check oh, wait, it out uh, for sure. So, so, do, do you mean orange wine like the alcoholic version? Yeah, of yeah. Wine? yeah, yeah. Or just leaving on the skins a little longer? Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um. Great. Well, I think our first topic is going to be a non CPG topic, but it's kind of on everybody's mind over the last two days. So I felt like uh, it was necessary just to kind of go through it, but obviously uh, a place that we spend a lot of our time. And I think a lot of people in the industry are spending more time outside of LinkedIn because I think you get a little bit more of transparency and a little bit less, uh, less kind of self-promotion, but that's Twitter. Uh, obviously, there's going to be some changes here with Elon Musk taking over over the last 48 hours. Uh, I think you have people kind of overreacting on both sides on how positive this would be or how negative this would be. I just kind of wanted to get some initial results. I think the interesting thing is, is like if you were a shareholder investor in, you know, Twitter like 10 years ago, that dollar you put in is still worth that same dollar today. And so there hasn't really been a lot of movement on it, although it's now a private company. Um, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty crazy how it, much it hasn't really moved or, or monetized a ton over the last decade. So I do think this can bring some fresh blood into the company. I do think this whole like positioning around like, freedom of speech is the reasoning behind it is probably not um, like 100% kind of the, the the true mission behind this. I think it's a good company that Elon can definitely take to the next level. No, I know this is not a tech uh, podcast, but just thought maybe some a few thoughts before we actually jump into a Twitter thread for our next conversation. Yeah. So, CJ, maybe with you. I was trying to come up with like an interesting take on this. Like, I don't, like, I don't have one, like other than like I really enjoy when when both 
committed liberals and committed conservatives getting their panties in a bunch. Like I, I, I enjoy that. So this is like, this has been, this has been fun for me because I am neither. So like, and so at least something interesting is going to come out of it. And my, my life isn't super defined by Twitter. So I'm not like terrified for a degradation of the system. So at the very least, uh, I can't wait for the Apple, Apple, TV plus uh, mini series. Yeah, seriously. No, it's gonna be great. <laughs> I want to know who's gonna play Elon. That's uh, that's gonna be a hard thing to cast, but um, it's gonna be great. Yeah, no, it'll it'll be interesting to see how everything pans out. Um, Taylor, any thoughts on on your end? One, Nicholas Cage. She's <laughs> <laughs> gonna need I gonna need a hell of a hairpiece, which also I, Elon has. So um, thank you. Thank you. Because he already has the, no offense if Nicolas Cage is listening to our podcast, offense, no offense in advance. I think he's already has a little receding hairline in his own accord. Um, no, one is I think Nicolas Cage will play him and I hope it's on Hulu. Um, two is I, I don't have anything else. I agree. I think this is just crazy. I think when I saw the news, I was like, really, did that happen? Or is this still in, you know, is this still being discussed? And then when they're like, it is effectively media, I'm like, holy shit. Uh, one one tweet uh, that I thought was really interesting was Adam Grant from the New York Times. Um, obviously, yesterday was just a flurry, right, on Twitter around this and in the news and stuff like that. But I liked it because it was simple, but it was it asked it kind of raised a good question. So it says it's official. Elon Musk is buying Twitter. Serious question, though. How many complex companies can one person lead responsibly at the same time? I, I like I'm fine with like here's the thing is like I don't know I'm kind of willing to give him some rope to figure it out like like you know you know people complained a lot about Dorsey running Twitter and Square and they were you know both really interesting you know you know companies going forward and, and you know we got kind of kind of pushed out and I, I think I think I'm willing to see like I'm here for the ride let's let's figure it out he's digging tunnels he's buying Twitter this is great it's, uh, <laughs> Let's just see what happens. I'm in. I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, it's definitely like the first billionaire to like spend his money as if like we were like all of us were billionaires. It's just like, yeah, I'm just going to buy this today. And like someone who's actually doing cool stuff and buying cool stuff with his money. It's pretty interesting to see. I think I think it was Mark Galley who posted, obviously, like a mutual friend of all of ours. It was like the Twitter like acquisition by Elon like brings up a question like if you could go in and buy any beverage company you wanted to right now just to go run independently, what would it be? So maybe I pose that question to all three of us. Taylor, is there anything that kind of pops up in your head? I'm like, oh yeah, I wish I could run that company. Poppy, 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 love Poppy, love Poppy. You missed the uh, submissions a few weeks ago. You could have had that game. Yeah, you <laughs> I, I was going to say, look, I could have thrown myself in the ring. Now, Poppy, I think would be my, be my number one. How about you, CJ? I'd love to work at Liquid Death if just for no other reason than just be constantly uncomfortable and like, but then like develop like a, a level of trust of whatever Cesario wants to do, let him do. Like, um, you know, just because it, 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 there seems to be doing so much interesting stuff over there. Yeah, I think that that was probably my answer too. Like, I had my little like two year old birthday party this weekend, and I like got a huge like cooler of like liquid death for everyone who didn't drink alcohol. Like, nobody had like really heard about it yet, and so it was very interesting to see everyone's like kind of like conversation around it, and like felt like they weren't they were drinking a beer or like a Guinness or something out of like the big black sparkling can that they have. So yeah, I mean, I think just for like the marketing meetings alone, that would probably 
you know, be my goal too. And I think too, you could just go in and just be like, all right, we're just going to continue to be off the rails and that can kind of be your game plan moving forward. So, all right, well, Mark, thank you for that question that you posed out in the Twitterverse. And, and if it wasn't Mark, I, I, I apologize. Um, it all right, was so Mark. It, it was, Mark. right? It was all right, Mark. good. All right. So um, CJ, I'll let you take this topic because and kind of run with it because you sent it to me over Twitter, uh, which is now a common theme for this episode on, um, I think the, um, the revenue numbers came out for Manscaped uh, last week. And I think they talked about how they did close to $300 million in revenue with a net loss of 315 million. Um, it kind of became this, you know, running thread on, you know, DTC horror stories and like, is this actually a viable model? And I think too, some people were talking through like, you know, those might not be like, like the real numbers and things like that, but just kind of wanted to get your take on it since you kind of brought it to the group. And it did look like that, um, did kind of um, blow up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's kind of the difference between, you know, headlines and what's actually hidden underneath them. So like, like you know, yes, you know, technically in, in the way that, that you write the income statement, they lost $315 million on $300 million of net sales. Like that's not what, actually happened because there was a tremendous amount of share-based compensation like so you know to, to the extent that our listeners care about kind of the details like both marketing and selling expenses and gna like you know i think you know both went up by like two and a half or 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 four x you know respectively and that's what caused that but like embedded in that was 300 million dollars of share-based compensation now like I don't think today we're going to have a big argument about like how gap treats share-based compensation. There are plenty of people that make the very cogent argument that like, Hey, you still gave them the money. It's, it's the exact same thing. I would, I would argue in this situation, I'm not saying that Manscaped is a super capital efficient company. I'm saying that up until the point where they started passing out a lot of shares as, as a tool for, for compensation, they were doing fairly well for a DTC company. Like they, you know, like they were making a lot of revenue off of not a whole lot raised. Now, so, um, like you know, because there are a lot of people on Twitter being like, "Oh, well, just look at that marketing and selling expense. Just that plus their their cogs are more than their sales." And again, I'd say no. A huge chunk of that marketing and selling expense was share grants to influencers to UFC to secure like a lot of long term partnerships. So, like. They are using their shares as a weapon. Um, if they're already despacking for a significant number, that is a strategy. And it's a strategy that doesn't burn cash. So it, it very well could work. Like we could have a whole separate episode on whether or not how that should be accounted for, because it'll show up in the balance sheet, the cash flow statement very differently, but that's okay. Um, but like people, people screaming like they burned $300 million in cash did not happen. Um, but it's a really effective way to get a lot of people to do a spit take on Twitter. Um, and I get it. Like people like the likes and they like the follows. So, I mean, I, I mean, you're, you're, you're a founder, Cam, how do you view, um, you know, sh- you know, share compensation versus, versus cash compensation as a tool for, for, you know, both marketing and talent? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're obviously, we're, we're not really crossing that bridge yet in terms of those conversations, but like, I think for us, like, 
this is more always brought up to like what we're seeing with like DTC brands and like this, it's more of like, they probably aren't, it's not as bad as it's actually pictured for that to be right. They're not actually, you know, digging themselves into this big of a spending hole. And it is mostly growth. If you just think realistically, right. Like they've only raised X amount of dollars, so they can't spend that much to then make that much. And so there, there's just some, I think they've raised less than 30 million. So the, the tweet itself, just in terms of how much they raised, just didn't really make too much sense and how they phrased it but yeah it was an opportunity kind of for everybody to dunk on them um i do think this goes to a bigger theme now where it's like a lot of these brands um that are dcc brands that are scaling really fast um and the cac is just kind of out of control and the ltv is never going to catch up to that cac um it does bring up a bigger story and there's going to continue to be a lot of dead bodies here but i think I think Manscaped, you know, again, like there's not really a ton of competition in that space. Like I'd never hear like any other ads on podcasts for anything else that's really competing in that space. So if I had to place a bet on them winning or not, I think it'd probably be that they'll they'll come out on top and they'll continue to do well. Um, we, know, yeah. we know it's a profitable sector because of how many Gillette yeah. ads we see. Like we know how much... Yeah, like, and then we also have seen like Dollar Shave Club and everything that yeah. in the past, and that was probably a lot less profitable than kind of this model because you were you were just it was so price competitive. But yeah, I mean it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. But I think this just continues to bring like the biggest conversation like in our industry over like the next year or two is going to continue to be like like what's your roadway into the market and like people being really strong and like their takes of the DTC is still the best for traditional retail um, when really probably the truth just lies somewhere in the middle. So well, and, we'll and that's, that's kind of like whether or not they're going to be successful is debatable, but what they're like at its core, what they're doing is saying, okay, DTC has worked really well for us. We need to find some way to lower our customer acquisition costs, regardless of whether we're moving on shelf or, or remain in D2C. So we are going to give a ton of share compensation to marketing partners and personnel hires that we think overall will make us better at acquiring customers. So like, like you can argue that spending $300 million on marketing is dumb, but you can't, you, like you can't say they lost $300 million. Like, Right. Like, because it also too, if the investment pans out, then it's a win-win for everybody. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's just a smarter yeah. way of structuring everything. And like, like you said, I, we do that a lot of times too, with like our, our, you know, our initial hires, like we'll test them out, but like give a strong equity package and have them buy in. And so it's like, if they win and they do well, like everyone benefits. So um, Taylor, would love your thoughts on it as well. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have anything else other than I didn't realize specifically until my husband told me that it's just for groin, like it's a groin hair trimmer. <laughs> yeah. I saw that, I know debt, like I've been seeing the, the whole conversation on Twitter and I was like, wow, this company then, when I brought it up to my husband, he's in banking. He's like, oh, holy shit. Like, let me look into this. We spent like, like we went down a rabbit hole at like midnight one night, not last night when I was overly caffeinated with the hoplark, but the night before. Um, and no, I mean, like, I think it's really interesting. I do think that they, they have kind of an interesting hold in that, in that market. And seems to be as though people need this product, which look, you learn something new every day. Um, I guess I was just confused because I had never heard of it, but again, I'm, definitely not their target consumer. Um, the only thing I, I was a little bit surprised about is, is on social, like I don't see them having quite frankly, like as notable of like a general presence on like Twitter, Instagram and stuff as I thought they would have. But I guess like a lot of the marketing efforts that they're doing, as you guys said, is towards totally different initiatives. Um, I mean, on, on Instagram, they have like 500,000 followers and stuff and people are engaged. So I guess that's there, but 
I don't know. <clears throat> I just thought originally when I saw marketing, I was like, are they talking about traditional marketing efforts? But then like we're all saying, I, I get now where the money's being allocated, which is a totally different MO. Yeah. But anyway, all this to say, did not know about this company or that it was for groin trimming. Good to know. Excited to see how this all trades. Well, they, I mean, they also have some like ear and nose hair trimmers. It's not all about. Yeah, like, it's very similar to like you. a. It's very similar like, like a him like a hymns model, right? Like hymns sells like the very <laughs> like you know like embarrassing products that you don't want to buy in store, but then they also sell like probably some like go to like everyday like men's stuff that you can like put together a package. But like I listen like I'm a diehard like NFL draft fan, right? So it's like I listen to like six different draft podcasts during the week. And like every different show is sponsored by Manscaped and they're not all owned by the same company. So they're like definitely going towards like, I've just never seen a company sponsor so many podcasts and obviously podcasts that are probably more generally uh, geared towards men. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's the best thing about listening to a podcast where Manscaped is the, the, the sponsor is how they like they usher in like the thing, like that was a close call. And if you don't want to have a close call down there, check out Manscaped. <laughs> and so, so if, <laughs> if we're looking for a sponsor, I will think of creative ways to usher them in um, for sure. So um, that's, that's and I love, I love their lawn, like the names of the products too. Like I have to give them some credit, like the lawnmower, the weed whacker, the crop preserver. I mean, come on, this yeah. is great. <laughs> This is awesome. Yeah. Like, hey, but like that, that's like, like, you don't get to $300 million in sales without, without having some, some, you know, interesting products. Um, Fun fact, Cam, did you know that more people watch the NFL draft than on average watch an NBA finals game or a world series game? Like that's, like uh, that's, yeah. Just yeah. how popular the NFL is. Yeah, me and my friends are all like uh, draft nerds. So this week is a big, uh, big week for us for sure. <laughs> terrible, terrible draft this year. Terrible draft. Not great, but it's all right. Um, awesome. So going to the next episode, I know this might be us, you know, um, continuing to beat a dead horse here, but we got to do it, especially when the largest investment round ever um, was put into Upside Foods. Um, they're the, um, the cultivated meat space. So really focus on cell-based animal products. They got funding from Tyson and Cargill, a $400 million series C, I believe. Um, I don't believe the products are currently in market, but this is really like kind of like to, to really uh, grow sales and grow their presence in the market right now. Um, and that will kind of came out at the same time where Bon Appetit put together like this huge expose on like, is plant-based or cell-based meat actually better for you? Um, and a lot of times we're seeing that it's uh, really kind of like a one-to-one comparison. And a lot of times like the traditional beef patty is going to be a lot better than for you than like this ultra processed like thing that has trace amounts of, of plant-based products in it. And so I think we're, we're just like in this really super interesting time. I'm like, what the heck is going to happen over the next three to five years in this space? Like the money is there, the investments there, the excitement's there from a lot of these companies, but then we're still seeing from like the two mainstays in the space that like growth does hit a wall at some point. There is an issue with customer perception. And I think the same thing we're seeing with like Oatly, where it's like Oatly was the champion. It was the first one in the space. If you wanted oat milk, you had Oatly. And now it's like Oatly's half oil. Like you don't want to drink Oatly. It's awful for you. And so it's like you're, you know, it's, uh, you know, the famous, the Batman line, right? Where you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Like that's what kind of what's happening with a lot of these products. Um, and it's just, it's just super interesting to see. So I think, what I'm seeing is like an increased investment 
is this indicator that obviously investors are seeing growth in this space, but then customer perception seems to be slowing a little bit, especially post pandemic. So CJ, happy to start with you, like on the investor side of things, like where do you make out on this? And obviously we talked about seafood last week and I think we were all bullish on that, but it just seems yeah. like meat has so many more players in the space and cell-based meat is, I just continue to think that's a much harder sell on like the general public than plant-based meat. Well, so, I mean, like, here's the thing, like, I, I thought when we had Yanni on as a, a guest, he said it really succinctly, he's like, plant-based, cell-based, he's like, he's, like, he's like, I don't care which one tastes the best. And like, and, and, and to, like having not tasted any of these cell-based meat, like, like I, I, that's who I think will ultimately win, um, is, is like, does it taste really good? And it is price, is it price competitive? Like, you know, so, but we've, we've said that like five times in this. I was looking for some kind of new take and like the new take that I can kind of give on this one is, you know, A, it's pretty important that Cargill, Tyson and Jibinon are in this round because those are the distribution companies for me. Like if you, you know, so if, if you want to break into the supply chain, which is like, I think a lot of times in this podcast, we're talking about either plant-based meat or cell-based meat from a consumer standpoint, which means grocery store. Um, like the easiest way to drive trial is if if people within the channel that are pushing it out into you know the on-premise and the restaurant world and the hospitality world have a vested interest in doing so. So that's interesting here that that those major players have been in this and been in it for a long time. The other really interesting thing here is Dentsu invested. Um, and Taylor, this is your world. Like Dentsu wouldn't have invested unless they were invited in and probably have some kind of contract or pay, you know, you know, you know, sweat equity process for them to start working on public perception. Um, yeah. And like, you know, so, you know, that is at least interesting. And that, like, when I'm looking at that as less investors, like, okay, this is telling me that they understand that probably years before they are scaled enough for this to be in the supply chain, they are going to start trying to change the public perception of this. And that's at least smart. Um, so that's like, as far as a finally a new take on this stuff, that's the best I can do because other, other than that, we have beat this thing to death. Last thing, raising 600 million on barely over a billion of, of, of value is, they've certainly sold a lot of their company. Um, so we'll, we'll see, like, I, I do agree that you need a lot of money. It's, you have to scale this process, um, but for, for not really having much in the way of sales, they've sold a lot of their company already. Yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, it's always like a topic I'm trying to avoid, which doesn't seem like I'm doing a good job of it because it always sneaks in. But like, again, like it's, it's like the biggest round ever, right? And so yeah. it's really tough to avoid when all these signals um, are out there in the market saying like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's going to be big. Um, but then it's just like, it continues to feel just like this regurgitated story that, that comes out. Um, Taylor, your thoughts? Well, on the public perception thing, I'm just thinking out loud, but like, so I'm part of, I've been involved with Discus since I was like 21, which is the Distilled Spirits Council, which is like the governing body for the beverage industry, right? Talking about like, you know, how to market beverages and like all the regulatory kind of nuances. And then recently, I think we talked about this, but um, they had been developed, uh, it's called AN. D A N B A, which is the adult non-alcoholic beverage association. But just CJ building on your point around like that particular company's involvement and their goal, probably in helping to shift perception. I actually think if they all kind of come together to create this, like not like anti-meat association, but like 
I don't know, like the future of genetically modified, I don't know, you get what I'm saying, but like kind of pull together as like kind of a wider movement and like use that nonprofit or that organization as like kind of a way to educate because in my mind, even if these brands back one particular company or you have an agency or a firm that's like shifting perception by way of these certain brands, I actually think it needs to be kind of like a wider industry call to action where like, again, they're not saying like, don't have meat. I mean, that's its own whole conversation, but just like, I would say maybe even like raising awareness of like how to enjoy these types of products and like what the differences are in these products versus real products and who has these products. And so I, I would actually take the individual brands out of it because I think it's just a rat race. And like we said, there's so many brands that are trying to get into this competitive landscape, but maybe if there's some type of like association or organization that kind of like corrals the troops and helps educate like the wider industry on all the op, like everything having to do with this and like better understanding like formats and like occasions and what things can be swapped in for and who's in this space. And it could be an interesting way to go about more kind of widespread education. You know, the, the other thing that kind of to build on that is like, let's not forget that the co-leads here are sovereign wealth funds. I mean, I mean, at, at this point, like if you look at Singapore and Abu Dhabi, because Temasek is from Singapore, like we are talking food scarcity as a national priority. You know, like there is there is literally no way for Singapore to grow enough food to feed everybody who lives in the island. And there is no way for a desert to grow enough food to live everybody that lives in it. So like at, at some point, like you can start to characterize these investments as having like a national security character to them. Because um, if you if you if you essentially own methods of you know protein production, you are in a particularly less food scarce environment. So I, oh, let's not discount that as a driver. With a yeah. counterpoint to like that, Taylor, of like yes, like it would. I think it would help if there was a body pushing this. But one at the body that's been pushing over the last five years essentially be all these fast food chains. I mean, like I don't think I've ever seen such a concerted effort between two companies like Impossible and Beyond, where it's like every other week, it was like, we partnered with McDonald's, we partnered with Burke, and we partnered with KFC, we partnered with Starbucks. And it's like, there's there's very few, two, there's I've never seen another company where it's like, that was the process that they outlined and they got in front of so many new customers through food service applications, which I do think is the best way to get in front of new customers because you're trying it in the way that it was intended and it's made by a restaurant, uh, you know, no matter the, the quality of that restaurant. I remember like three or four years ago when Impossible teamed up with White Castle, like I was one of the first people in line because I just wanted to try it like on a White Castle burger. I thought it was an awesome application, but then I didn't become like a, like uh, convert, convert buying it all the time. So I'm just, I'm just like, I just, if it, if it didn't stick like an insane amount after that. I'm just like, I'm continuing to think about like public perception because like that was such a creative rollout into the market. And for the, both the stocks to kind of be stalling in terms of growth, it's just, yeah, I'm just kind of like wondering if we're just like yeah. kind of in this like pivotable period of, of plant-based meat. Well, I mean, I, not, not if, you know, like, like again, if, if you spin this of, these investors are making a bet that actually 10 years from now, cell-based meat will be significantly cheaper than real meat. 
that is, like that 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 is that is a completely different way to frame this. Like like that like that could be you know, you know what what their models are showing. Well, could also be too like if, if like McDonald's or Burger King, it might have also just been on like the fact that like hey, listen, we don't want to necessarily get ahead of the plant based trend, but but lowering our dependency on like supply chain of meat, like in the future, like that's like an attractive thing to us. So like, it might've just been also like macro things down the pipeline that let convince them. But I would just think like, I mean, there are in tens of thousands of restaurants across the country, both those companies. Um, and it just seems like for growth to be puttering, especially in retail, it's just, it, it's interesting to see at this point. So I'm just surprised to see where we're going, but obviously, like you said, there's a lot of big players in this space. Um, all right. Well, I want to touch base on our one on our last topic here. We, I know we, we need to minutes. find we need to find a way to create a synthetic swap for Cameron to bet against cell based meat. <laughs> I'm gonna just let me just let me just like, let me like, like, the I, industry. I, I really want because like I mean, like there's nothing more fun and more like cut to the quick of it than putting your money where your mouth is. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm going to try to find a swap for you. <laughs> just that against these companies. Don't make like then, a big short movie of just me shorting the cell based meat industry. <laughs> Um, all right last last topic i want to talk about company called air company um it's a new york-based carbon technology startup um in terms of what that actually means i want to read a direct quote from the ceo because i definitely like i don't want to mishmash any words here uh so what we do is we take captured carbon dioxide that other words otherwise emitted into the atmosphere and we combine it with hydrogen the product that it creates is a mixture of water ethanol methanol and paraffin we take the ethanol and some of those other products and we sell them into some of the products of what you see today. One of them being what's called air vodka. So it's essentially a vodka made from CO2. The company raised a $30 million series A, which is a pretty big round um, no, for what would basically be a CPG company, but obviously they're investing from the, the tech as well. Uh, anybody who's read any articles on this, the guy who started this company definitely just looks like the guy that you would think would start a CO2 vodka company. He's just got definitely the vibes and aesthetic of, of the founder who would create something like this. But are we, are we all in on CO2 vodka if we're not all in on cell-based meat? Uh, Taylor, how about you? So I, I, I'm friends with Gregory. I talked with him last night. I was watching, it was one of those moments in time when I was watching CNBC and they were like, Elon Musk takes over Twitter and a man is using vodka to save the, the planet. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, for, for our industry, that was pretty cool. And I'm like, well, um, yeah. I mean, I've interviewed these guys before. I think they're doing some really interesting stuff. I think what I actually found from like a, I guess like a branding storytelling marketing perspective is from the onset. I mean, even when I interviewed their team, like two years ago, I think on, it was even like on clubhouse um, may it rest in peace um, <laughs> is that they've always, they've always been of the mind frame. Like they're not a spirits company. Like they're a company that like used vodka as a foray into creating like a wider portfolio of products that are going to help change the world, right? And so I think the vodka element of it is interesting. I don't think everyone necessarily gets exactly what they're doing, which I think is something that they're still working on. And to be quite honest, honest, I mean, it's not like you just had to read it, right? Like off of a piece of paper because it's not that simple. So I would say like, generally, I think what they're doing is really interesting. I'm not surprised that the people that were backing the, their most recent round are like, I think JetBlue and Toyota Ventures and companies that are obviously not 
spirit specific because again, like this company just used vodka as that entry point, but they've done fragrances and they're doing much more. And I'm really curious to see like where they're positioned themselves from a branding perspective. Like they right now fall in my mind, like obviously more like the LVMH luxury direction versus like, you know, I don't know, a Tito's, but obviously they're not a Tito's. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of where they, they fall because they are, you know, kind of focused on sustainability and changing the world and the planet, one vodka ball, vodka bottle or perfume at a time. But they are still, you know, it's a pricier product. Their products will be pricier, the ones that they put to market. And so I don't know if I see a lot of companies that have done what they've done so far, which is, yeah. So I, I, I'm really happy for Gregory and the team and really curious to see what's, what's next to come with the funds. And yeah, it's overall just a really exciting company to continue to watch. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome and it's innovative. And I think the product packaging is really clean, like how, how it should be for this kind of branding. And I think, uh, I think it's definitely, you know, super creative um, use of this. And I think too, though, I, and, you know, we'll kind of close on this CJ. I would love your idea. Like at the end of the day, though, they are a CPG company, right? They're making CPG products, but they're raising on a bigger tech play, which I always think is a dangerous thing. You go back to Airbnb and things like that, right? So it's like, where where do you view it? Is like, do you view it as like, oh, this is yeah. like a tech platform company, what we're building big term? Or it's like, wait, wait, wait. At the end of the day, you're building CPG products. Like you, you're like Midday Squares, right? Just raised with a ton more traction at a much lower valuation. So it's like, how do you how do you kind of reconcile those kind of things? I mean, I in the same way that that this company takes CO two and combines it with uh, what is it hydrogen to create some things. They're also definitely taking investor money and combining it with PR firms to create quite a bit of articles. I've seen this guy written up <laughs> a, a, a lot of places. He seems to really like to see his his name in print. But like, I I, I can only imagine that the investors that are like this has got nothing to do with vodka um, or, or really any like, like consumer good. Like this is all going to come down to whether or not, um, you know, you can on a, on a massive scale, create water, ethanol, methanol, and paraffin, and then find B2B sales for those. Like, and if it's not price, like if it's not price competitive with the current sources for that, then you have to rely on either ESG mandates or some kind of government subsidies, which is, which is, by the way, a completely acceptable business model. Tesla's done it for a long time. The entire corn industry has done it for a long time. Um, you know, via ethanol. So there's like, like I'm not here to say there's not a business model for it, and I am pleased with the fact that he's pulling the CO2 out of the out of the air, out of the atmosphere. I'd love to know, like, like a very basic chart of, hey, at what scale? Does does the air company need to be in its B two B side, and like at at what point which you would have a material reduction of CO two in the atmosphere? And I imagine it is a very high bar. Um, I imagine there's. I imagine if all the vodka consumption in the world was created in this manner, it wouldn't it wouldn't put a big dent in the CO two. Doesn't mean I don't like the vision. Um, doesn't mean I don't respect the marketing play of, of having it probably because it's really easy to get CNBC to do that 30 second segment. Um, but I, I can't imagine that their business model is anything other than B2B on, on ingredient providers. 
Yeah, it's kind of like the paper straw conundrum, right? Like, is this actually going to move the needle when like straws are not actually like the biggest kind of cause for a lot of the pollutants we see? And I think too, just like a personal note, like we saw from XOS, like carbon negative, carbon neutral is going to be a major call out on products coming up, like more so I think than like non-GMO and some other other in the future. So I would definitely like startups look into that. We are up against it. We will be back here next week. Uh, super excited for another great episode and thanks so much for uh, joining us.